Hey everyone and welcome to episode 11 of the podcast, It Should Go Without Saying. I'm your host, Andrew Lewis, and in preparation for the real start of the Australian summer, the first test match in Brisbane, I'm joined by resident cricket expert, Cameron McDonald. How are you doing, Cameron? Good, Punner. How are you going? I'm well excited. It's Thursday is the start of the summer, Brisbane test match. Forget this T20 stuff that happened beforehand and shorter form. The the summer starts with the first test in Brisbane. I 100% agree. And uh, I'm unemployed just in time. So you'll be able to catch the action. Just uh, a quick question without notice straight off the bat. Uh, the Fox Sports coverage or the Channel 7 coverage? Um, what do you I think you'll be watching? Towards, I might lean towards uh, the Fox coverage and only because... Um, it means I can wander around the house with my AirPods in, um, doing fatherly duty. Fingers crossed, not missing a beat. So it just makes it a little bit easier. Until we've got a TV that's AirPod compatible, uh, I might lean towards the Foxtel coverage. But from memory, I did like it a tiny bit more. Yeah, I didn't see much of the Channel 7 coverage last year, but uh, the Fox coverage is pretty good. You do get Kerry O'Keefe, and there is... Some hilarious videos. I think there's one of a uh, of an interview we did on Triple M a, a little while ago about. I think it's about it, it gets down to something about uh, a form of sun cream, which is uh, which is edited out the name uh, to protect <laughs> the innocent. But it is peak karaoke. It is just you, hilarious. So you can't if you haven't out. seen that at home, do yourself a favor and find that. It is five minutes of the funniest stuff, and. Even if it's not funny, it's funny simply because Kerry finds it so funny. Yeah, correct. That laugh, mate. He's um. It is a going to be an interesting first up test series, and we've had some memories come back into people's feed. Cricket Australia have posted like a thirty-minute highlights package, which I watched some of today, of the test match in Hobart twenty years ago this week the second test between Australia and Pakistan. And the thing that struck me was, I think everyone remembers the incredible chase, and we've talked about that on this podcast before with Langer and Gilchrist in the last day, but the incredible twists and turns right throughout those five days, watching the highlights that came from all the five days, that's what I struck by. I'd sort of forgotten what an incredible test match it was from start to finish. High drama. I mean, you know, late 90s, it wasn't typical for a test match second innings to be, you know, 100 runs greater than first innings, you know, and by both teams. It's notable for a stack of reasons. You know, Ponting makes a pair. Mark War, I think, five runs across the two innings. That incredible part. And, oh, that's what I was going to say is Mark War makes five runs and yet arguably um, plays a massive role. Uh, in, in turning the test match, one of those moments you're talking about with a phenomenal catch to remove Inzi, one of the best he ever took, if not the best. Um, <laughs> but I was watching these I was watching these highlights. You could almost make the argument that it wasn't his best catch in the match because he got uh, Muhammad Yusuf, then known as Yusuf Yahada in the first days from Fleming at second slip with this brilliant right-handed, one-handed catch. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, it's in I the can... highlights. I think I can remember that one. Um, he, he was he was, um, he was unbelievable and everything just hit the middle of his hand. It was incredible. But so Pakistan, I think, 
won the toss and batted. Uh, they were all out well before the end of the first day for 222. Muhammad Wazim made 91. Watching the highlights, I was struck by Scott Muller, took three wickets, all with absolute pies. So, <laughs> <laughs> How many and test then, matches did Scott Muller play? He played two. He played the first two test matches of the series. So this was his last test match, and he was finished. He had retired from first-class cricket by the end of the summer. So uh, he was a rather successful business. He was a rather successful businessman. So I think he was sort of a part-time cricketer. But and he took what seven wickets in two test matches at about thirty-five. So not the worst record in the history of test cricket. So the Australians then come in. They're none for seventy-six, and they're one for a hundred and ninety-one, chasing two hundred and twenty-two, and they they lose. Nine for 55, and Saclane takes six for 46. Yeah, and the other end, Wackar has got the ball to go reverse, which is how Ponting is out in the first inning. So he leaves one that's a foot outside off stump, and it hits the top of off. Just incredible. So Slater makes 97. Slater probably just about the best form of his life about this time. He made a huge 100 in the first innings in the first test. He makes 97 in the second test. But Australia somehow only get a lead of 24 runs. And then Pakistan, uh, three for 258. In this season, five for 320. EJs makes 82, a very underrated cricketer by everyone, probably outside of Australia, EJs are mad. Inzamar makes this incredible 100 and then the the war catch against Shaman when the ball's about a metre behind him. There was another big score in the Pakistan second innings as well. If I remember, I looked up the scorecard today, and there were three yes. three batsmen who went over over fifty and up near the eighties. Yeah, and I got seventy eight. And I got uh, seventy eight, yeah. and then got bowled by Warren around the wicket with one that turned square. Yeah, and Warren got five in the second innings. Yeah, so, you know, I th- I think it's my I think it is my favourite Test match, and it's hard not to be not to favour one where Australia should have lost. And it just looked like it was headed towards, you know, the most, yeah, we were just going to lose the test match. At some point on day five, we were going to get skittled, even though ship beginning to bloom. Um, we were going to lose the test match and we won it instead. And that just doesn't happen. As we spoke about uh, a few podcasts ago, that doesn't happen. Um, we lose all of those test matches and, and we often lose test matches where we have the opposition in similar spots. Um, the Ben Stokes... But we lose um, because Dave Warner talks... We lose because Dave Warner talks to Ben Stokes. You know, <laughs> that seems to be why we lost that test match. Fire somebody up. Yeah. But, I mean, you, it's a good point you make, as in we've had all these great test matches that Australia have been involved in, which invariably seem to end in Australia losing in a heartbreaking fashion. And here's one where the... It's the one that goes the other way. So, yeah. It, it is one of the great test matches and not just because of that last innings. And that's what I was reminded of with those highlights is that this one ebbed and flowed and turned and twisted for five days. Really an epitome of what is so great about test cricket as opposed to the shorter forms of the game. And if you show one highlight from that final, well, not the final partnership, but the epic partnership that um, that swung the match in Australia's Favour, if you probably not be a boundary from the bat 
of either Langer or Gilchrist, but rather a shower bouncer, which um, strikes JL square on the helm. A toothless grin comes uh, grinning back at um, at shower. And for me, <laughs> I mean, that's just one of the best things to ever happen on a cricket field. Yes, one of the great uh, events, one of the great judgments of to award a player of the match. Because, I mean, Gilchrist got 149 not out in the second innings. He got his 100 first, but they gave the man of the match to Langer. Uh, he had he had made 50-odd in the first innings, while Gilchrist had made six. But Langer's 127, and he was the one who dug in, and he was the one who survived, and he was there when they were four down, and or five down after Ponting got his second pair. He got, I mean, Ponting got two Jaffers. I mean, if you're going to get a pair... At uh, any stage in your test career, I, I don't know if anyone in world cricket would have not made it a pair in the two balls he got. So, And if you're going to make a pair, you may as well come out at Perth and make 190-odd. Yeah, he made that series he made 0, 0, 0, 197 yeah. from his four knocks. So, and the 197 was and it, one of the best innings to watch. You could ever see. I mean, he flayed them everywhere. It was classic Perth batting. Yeah. yeah, it was still the old Ponting the gully for one ninety seven, and was filthy about it. And you know, yeah. he, he just knew he Uppish, still had a point to prove. Upish square drive, I think that he was just he. You could see in his mind he was thinking, "This is one bounce over the right square of the wicket, raise the bat," and he's just hasn't got it flush enough. Straight to gully, and he's out for one hundred ninety seven. And then I think he made a. 100 in the first innings of the next test match against India and Adelaide, when, when again, Australia were four for not many. So, which they were in that uh, that match in Perth where he made the 197. I think Langer again hung around. They were about four for 50 on and ended up making you four know, for a million. 500. And yeah. they won the test match by an innings. They sort of, over the course of two, two knocks, the second innings in Hobart and the first innings in uh, Perth sort of destroyed the Pakistanis. And I don't think. Pakistan did much in the one day series later on a proper try series I, I, yeah, I mean those. I've got I've got some uh, some VHSs from that time and they still I still give them a trundle now and again which is probably the nerdiest thing I'll ever say but we we've still got a VHS which was state of the art when it was um, when it came to the McDonald household in about 1941 and rip those VHSs out and give them a little go because it was just, I mean, it was around about the time that I was peaking for cricket the hardest. And, um, and yeah, and further to your point on JL getting that man of the match, um, Gilly would go on to receive quite a number of man of the match awards and it was only his second test match. Um, and a man, of, but with so much talent, was the perfect foil for the JL grit, determination, and focus, which, you know, it put them on a path together. And there's those famous stories about, I think Gilchrist was counting the runs and JL was counting time, um, and <laughs> which sounds like they were sort of um, on different pages. But Gilly was happy if they ticked off another 10 runs and JL was saying, let's just bat through this next 10 minutes and let's get this bowler off and let's get that bowler off. And, mm. um, Langer, Langer's 127 came off 295 balls, so just short of 50 overs worth of bowling. And he batted for just over seven hours, so well over a day 
of Test cricket. Gilchrist, 149 not, came off 163 balls, and he batted four and a half hours. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yin and yang, if ever you saw it in a uh, Test series. By the end of that summer, after the New Zealand tour, uh, I think Steve Waugh suggested that Justin Langer was the best batsman in the world, and uh, he could very well have been at that stage. It was a golden summer for him, and amazingly... Eighteen, you know, it's fifteen, sixteen months later in the two thousand one Ashes, he found himself out of the team. So yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, but we 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 lament for the fact that there's no Test match in Hobart this summer. There's no Test match in Canberra, which I did, did I think did a reasonable job. I don't understand why there's only two Test matches in this series, other than they've got other places to be. A two test match series against Pakistan? It just, I don't like it one little bit. No, I would just love to get, I'd love to see, you know, teams really like playing five test series. Um, mm. you, it doesn't really happen beyond the ashes, but um, there's so much drama within one test match, you know, but we certainly, there can be no real argument as to the winner of a series after five. Mm. Um, yeah. The nuances of a series, you don't really, exp- and I agree, hope the names Pakistan and New Zealand and felt sure they were going to. Yeah. And I mean, Pakistan have played their test matches in Pakistan quite, in, uh, sorry, test matches in Hobart quite a few times. I mean, 95, 99, um, I think there was one in about 2012, I think, where uh, Clark and Ponting had, the, had an enormous partnership back when, you know, I think Clark was just about untouchable and Ponting, I think it was might have been his last test double hundred. So Pakistan have certainly played there a few times. And I, I think the Canberra experiment was worth persisting with. Um, that's a very nice cricket ground and a very nice batting wicket. So... You know, I think there has been some criticism in the past that the crowds haven't turned up in Hobart, but it's I mean, it's dis- it's disappointing. I think that more so than just the, the 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 locations that are being ignored, the fact that there just isn't there's two teams coming. There should be six tests in a test summer, and instead we're playing other forms of cricket. I can understand the demands. They have to go to India in, in January and there's all for one day and all that sort of thing. And, you know, there's, there's commercial realities at play, but it's, it'll be 21st of November by the time they start this test match. They could have started and played a test match last week or, yep, you know, a couple of weeks agree. ago. I can yeah, remember in 90... 90- I remember in 95, the Pakistan series started two days after Melbourne Cup Day. So, you know, test series have started in the first or the first 10 days of, no, of, no, of November before, and the pitch in Brisbane is always good. So you can always get a test match up there at that time of year. And that would have, that would have got more excitement going than, you know, what we had, which was a pretty one-sided uh, T20 series against Sri Lanka. Yeah, Sri Lanka are in trouble, aren't they? But it's... Um... I think, look, further to your point, I think commercial realities are just what we're looking at overall because I, I've heard nothing but good things said about about um, playing cricket at camp. But if the crowds aren't turning up, that's all she wrote, really. Um, there's a couple of grounds under pressure due to attendances um, in Australia. And um, I, I still think they'll face a little bit of a battle with attendances this summer, um, whether the, you know, 
the Australian crowds have, have warmed to this cricket team yet um, or warmed to cricket in general. Um, it remains to be seen. Also, you know, they, they rely so much on, on the Melbourne crowds and the Sydney crowds um, for boosting their attendances. And the pitches there have just been dreadful for Test cricket this last few years. Really docile. I, I hope we're not going to see that this year. Um, well, well, I think I think in terms of the attendances, um, the, the the challenges are in Brisbane and Perth, and I, I mean I, I don't have a lot of I don't have a lot of optimism for the crowd in Brisbane that's about to come up. You know, it's Pakistan. It's then you know they don't seem to get crowds to Test cricket in Brisbane unless it's England, and it's it's a it's a day match. Adelaide, I'm not so worried about because I think they didn't have a day-night test match there last year because India uh, played in Adelaide and India didn't want to play a day-night test match. So I think the event crowd will come back to the Adelaide test match a little bit. You know, the people who, you know, you go to Adelaide, you hang out the back or you're underneath the scoreboard and, you know, you're there to be there and it's sort of that carnival atmosphere. And the Perth one is interesting. That's a day-night test match, the first test against New Zealand. And so that will start at, like one o'clock Perth time, four o'clock Eastern Standard Time. So there'll be a heap of cricket on after in prime time and even later going back into the eastern eastern states. But yeah, I, I feel like that's sort of I feel like that's sort of aimed at getting people to the cricket in Perth, so that, so they can sort of like I can go to work and then maybe knock off a little bit early and catch sort of two sessions. Because it's not really needed for television purposes to have a day-night test match in Perth. So what's the other motivation for that? Uh, yeah, you would think it would have to be... Uh, they, they get really good crowds for the Scorchers, don't they? So maybe they're just looking to make the test man, you know, an event. Uh, but I, I, I personally think that the Melbourne and Sydney test matches will be under threat um, from a attendance's point of view if they don't do something about the pitches because they're all talking about um, Sydney being pretty ordinary, and I've I've been witness to some terrible MCG pitches just lately. Um, so, I, I, interestingly, for the, for the standard of cricket, I would rather be attending Brisbane um, or Perth. Mm, and uh, I mean, we'll get to Brisbane in a minute in terms of this Test match, but um, I think the early signs are good for the Melbourne pitch compared to other years. They just had a really good cricket wicket there for the first Shield match of the year. Um, it In the end, it didn't do a struggling Victorian Shield side any favours, but you know I think that side can sort of relax on their three or four Shields that they've won in the last five or six years. You yeah. had a bad year sometimes, and New South Wales have, have done very well for the first four matches, and now all their players go off and play for Australia. So it'll be interesting to see how that Shield season shakes out. But a good wicket... This year, so far at the MCG, and hopefully, you know, a bit of grass, a bit of a sporting wicket, you know, some You'd something like to early see in two, it. Two good bolted with a deck that that kind of suits. And uh, if anything, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing an overcorrection um, for what's been fairly docile, and I think that's what's on the curator's mind because, as you say, the shield pitch um, there compared to the Junction Oval, certainly, which must be confusing for Victoria's top six, is, um, yeah, is much more bowler-friendly. Mm. And I, I think on Sydney, I, last year the, the Sydney game got rained out, essentially. 
I think the a few times before that, being the last test of the summer normally, and certainly the last test of a series most times, I think they can suffer from, particularly an Ashes series, um, a very tired opponent one way or another. So yeah. it'd be great if we got to an Ashes series like we did at the, just we did in England with the over where the, you know, the sort of, in some respect, the series is still on the line going to the last test match and then maybe Sydney can really shine, uh, put on a cricket wicket and put on a, and have a really important test match where the, the result is really important. And I, I think it's sort of suffered from that a little bit, but, I, I I can't remember the last time I, I watched a Sydney Test match and I thought, oh, yeah, it's a ripping t- cricket wicket. But I don't know whether that's because of the circumstances of the match or the wicket itself. It's a fair point. Um, I was sort of referring perhaps to the initial rounds of the Sheffield Shield where Steve Smith scratched around for a 280 ball 100 the other day. Um, I suppose you could argue that he just wanted a, a little net I wondered if he was manipulating that Sheffield Shield match to suit himself and making 100, sure, but um, the time in the middle was more important to him. But I believe it was a, a you know, pretty scratchy display. So um, I, I get the feeling to tame it. I get the feeling he's now in a situation where there's a, fa- there's a story that Larry Bird was so bored on a road trip once, he, in a game in Portland, he decided to shoot left-handed only in one game. And he still hit like 28 points. And I think Steve Smith's sort of at that stage of his career. Where he's just like, let's see if I can make 100 and not score a boundary. Yeah, I'll just use the edges. Yeah, let's just see if I can. Let's just see if I, I'm going to make 100. I'm only going to play between square leg and mid-wicket. Um, <laughs> you know. We've seen him do that in test matches. Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to cover drive. That's the only shot I'm going to play. That's an attacking shot. And if I if the ball goes for runs from another shot, I'm not going to run. You know, it, it could be that situation. But he's the first name selected. It seems like Australia now have an eleven. Justin Langer let the cat out of the bag a little this morning. He should uh, be suspended, suge- shouldn't he? Yeah, <laughs> he should. Suggesting that uh, Cameron Bancroft and Michael Neeser are unlikely to uh, be, or they're going to be the twelfth and thirteenth men. So that pretty much locks in the rest of the eleven after. Uh, Pato got sent home. Indeed. Um, what are your thoughts on the selection, the, the 11 that are going to play, and the process? Oh, well, the process, I thought it was that A game um, for uh, the to walk into the test team, um, you know, potentially two of them. There were two spots up for grabs and a lot of names that we – you felt like a lot of pretty stable cricketers that um, – one of them would grab their chance, you know, others would be unlucky, but, you know, maybe to be an Usman Khawaja who would, you know, his class would rise to the top, you know, the young precocious talent of Will Pukowski and people thought, um, yeah. I, and Cricket Australia rightly thought that you put those names in there against a, you know, a, a good, um, a good attack, you know, on a bouncy pitch, someone will stand up and they'll make really good runs. And, and nobody did. And the, the best runs came from Bancroft batting six. And that was the worst result, I think, for the selectors because he shouldn't have even played. And they've mm. obviously got some big question marks over his ability to succeed at the top level um, with his technique. You know, no one's questioning his um, his grit and determination. Um, but he's, 
his technique's obviously questionable and they just skittled them. It was really, it was ordinary to watch. And on and the day after, we'd Baba Azam, who I can't wait to watch back this summer, and um, Asad Shafiq um, make glorious hundreds and sort of show you what was out there if, if you were patient and could cash in and nobody was able to. So, you know, that was, that was a little depressing in some ways. Um, and so I think that the... The top six they've landed on is, uh, I think they're all deserving of a spot considering that Pekovsky is taking some time away from the game. Uh, Burns' last outing uh, was on a batting-friendly track at Monica, but it was 180, um, which left his uh, test career with 16 test matches from memory, an average of 40 and 400s. Now, that's a really, really solid opening batsman's record whatever you might say about you know I think there's a there's an argument there that he he likes to have a little nibble outside the off stump he hasn't he hasn't been pouring it on in the shield cricket um sort of this last 12 months but he is an unlucky figure in Australia perhaps it was the nibbling outside off stump that had him left off the ashes squad but uh he does and based on what he's done thus far he'll cash in um I, I don't necessarily have a huge amount of confidence in him per se, but um, I think he deserves another crack and another summer to um, to pursue his good friendship, apparently, with David Warner and to see whether that can form something formidable at the top of the order because we're crying out for some openers um, to protect uh, Labuschagne and Smith, who were con- in England were to the 10th over. Mm. Um and then Travis Head, you know, again, he hasn't done a lot wrong. Um, you, He's looked pretty scratchy in a couple of shield digs uh, so far this summer, but um, he was the incumbent. He, I thought he was unlucky to lose his place in the test um, team uh, in England. Um, he does give you the, the feeling that he'll get out at times. Um, But he does have the ability to take it away from a team. And again, last test match he played in Australia, he scored a massive 100. So um, I would have picked Pekovsky. So it's a shame that he's not available for selection. Uh, It would have also been nice to see Nick Madison um, bat in the A game, um, considering we all know the kind of talent that he possesses. Um, Do you think that his spot, do you think his spot, in the in the A game went to Bancroft because they would might have just batted Madison at six. Uh, yeah, I mean it's hard. He might have batted in the A game um, since he's been opening for Victoria, but he does carry that flexibility mm. um, to bat just about anywhere in the top six, um, which might have made him a pretty handy concussion sub. Um, he's the he's the great unknown, having not played the A game and in such a nice vein of form. You know, had he been able to front up. Maybe he makes some runs. He seems to be batting with a, a you know, a really clear focus at the moment. It's a shame to see these guys stepping out of the game. But with the collection, I think they've made the right calls. Um, I heard it put really well the other day. You know, nobody can really consider Marcus Harris unlucky um, in the way that you could probably say that Joe Burns would have been if he didn't get picked. Harris might be the better. He hasn't put it together yet, and he. He flashes outside off stump in a way that would just make any good pace attack lick their lips. Um, and it might just be that he's uh, a shield level talent, um, but it remains. 
Yeah. Um, I the, the process is what I have the problem with, and it's not just what's happened over the last few weeks. Yes, the, the criticism of Joe Burns and, you know, Bradley Hogg came off the long run la- over the last few days to suggest that, you know, he shouldn't be anywhere near it. But his Bradley record or is... Rodney? No, it was Brad. Was so, it? Yeah. So, um, I think... What I mean, you've, the record that you described is his record. You know, 16 test matches, 400 is an average of 40. And, you know, what more can Burns do in terms of his actual production than what he did leading up to that Ashes series? He's earned the right to go over there and prove that he can solve his problems on the biggest stage rather than the selectors say, no, no, no. Um, no, we think you have a problem. We're going to pick someone else who doesn't have your record because they might not have the technical deficiencies. Funnily enough, the two guys who opened the bat, you know, the two guys who opened the batting in the series, in his place, Marcus Harris and Cameron Bancroft, both have pretty much those technical deficiencies, or certainly technical deficiencies, which make this selection problematic. So, you know, not only were they too clever by half the selection panel, but it it didn't work, and it wasn't going to work. So I'm happy to see Burns back in the side. And, you know, if you have, if you have a top six that had Burns, Wade, and Hid, they can all have a nice chat about how they were unlucky to get dropped a couple of times when they did, and now they're all back in the side. I, you know, I agree with your comments on Head. You know, I think he was unlucky to find himself on the outer, and it's a bit of, you know, what have you done for me lately? Um Warners, I think, there because really there's not two, there's not one guy knocking down the door, let alone two guys. And, uh, you know, I feel like there's there's going to be a lot riding on the performances of Marcus Labuschagne and Steve Smith. It doesn't worry me. I'm pretty confident in both of them, but Labuschagne hasn't hit that that stage in his career where, which is going to happen, which happens to all test batsmen, which is, you know, what happens when it starts to, when the form turns around a little bit and it becomes tough, you know? So hopefully that doesn't happen for him in this summer. Hopefully it never happens for him. But, you know, he hasn't got through that initial stage yet. All, uh, you know, I've, I've written on this, that, you know, all the, all the great Australian players, test batsmen of the last 40 years have found themselves out of the side early in their career and have come back better, as better cricketers. So that'd be, it'd be a understandable point in, in his development. It might've already happened considering he was, not on the test side in England to begin with. But, yeah, I mean, and I don't know necessarily what the what the A game was supposed to was supposed to achieve, especially considering, you know, you're sort of taking people out of their Shield teams. I just would have liked, you know, who, who were the guys who were knocking down the door in the Shield? Just pick them, which is the way it used to work. <laughs> well, you and know, it did you work. Just, you just talk, you know. You- yeah, well, I mean, I'm not, I, th- I mean, there, I think, there are some people out there who have just decided that, you know, if Sean Marsh broke Brian Lara's first class record, you still wouldn't have him back in the test team. So Sean Marsh has delivered for Australia. There have been a ton of times when he hasn't delivered, but there have been times when he's delivered for Australia and he's delivered for Australia more than Marcus Harris. He's delivered us for Australia more than Cameron Bancroft. So, you know, he's on a bit of a hiding to nothing, but if he's happy to take that, I mean, it's just the, it's the selectors, it would be it would be a brave decision, but they've sort of got to back themselves in. And if Sean Marsh is currently the form batsman in Australia, then he should be in the test team. 
I'm and not sure about that. I think I think just being ace on is, is what's now counting against him. With his talent, he should have delivered for Australia many more times, played a lot more for this country, but he did keep getting selected. And at 35 and with this, um, it seems like, well, and all the talk of Pukowski and, you know, there's some there's some green shoots coming through. Cameron Green playing for WA, who got a mention from Langer after some big scores batting at nine um, to go with some very handy pace bowling by all reports. Um, you know, Jake Fraser McGurk making runs in the shield and the one day side. He's not going to get picked for Australia, but there are there's some green shoots starting to come through. And this summer, it should be about that. It should be about exploring some green shoots with a view to the ashes. It is a two test series. Um, so I, I, I'm kind of with you in picking blokes on shield form, but I also think this is an important summer for the future of the Australian test team. Um, and it, to win the next Ashes outright, honestly, with a top six that, that can't include Sean Marsh um, because he'll be older again. Um, yeah, I mean, I, would, yeah. I wouldn't mind it if the selectors came out and said, we just played the Ashes series. So, and it's next Australian summer is not an Ashes. So we're as far away from an Ashes series as we, as we can get. And that's the, that's the cycle of Australian test cricket. So if you're going to regenerate, Now's the time to do it. Now's the time to foster, you know, foster the green shoots, and apparently they were going to do it with Pukowski. Yeah. So that's fine. But Joe Burns is 30. Um, Marcus Harris is 27, and Cameron Bancroft's almost 27. So, okay, if they were picking Bancroft or Harris, I think you could make that argument, but not so much with Burns. I think in the end, they're neither going one way or the other. They're sort of middling it with Burns, where it's like, okay, his form's been reasonable, but he's not... It's not it's not a youth movement, um, but it's not no, picking, it's not picking the form guy either. But Hussey didn't get Michael Hussey didn't get picked till he was thirty one, did he? Yeah, played but, a couple of tests as an opener and then absolutely dominated world cricket for five years. And it's fair to say, you know that that batsmen do tend to come into their own around thirty. You know that 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 a green shoot in Test cricket it could, it could be argued, especially in the Australian setup, is is twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty. We might be seeing the beginning of a really lovely return from Matthew Wade, who comes back into the test side as a 31-year-old and makes a couple of hundreds in England and might dominate this summer, in which case he'll be there for the next Ashes and, mm. and be someone who might be on the, you know, on the way out, but someone who we can still rely upon. You know, he'll be Sean Marsh's age. And, in fact, he'll still be younger than him. And, and Joe Burns may be coming into the best period of cricket in his life, or we may find out pretty quickly that he's not. Um, yeah, I, I think it's 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 not a Will Pukowski move, but I don't think it's I don't think it's middling, especially with four Test hundreds behind him. I think you've got to give him a summer. Fair enough. I mean, if I, where, where do where do where do I buy Joe Burns' rest of his career is like Mike Hussey's? I'll take that. Oh yeah, my God, but, absolutely. I don't remember Mike Hussey coming in with, you know, people, you know, picking apart an obvious technical flaw. I mean, it was just like this guy couldn't break into a ridiculously tough side and then and then he did. And he got it. Mean, he got in because Langer got injured. So and then wasn't able to be dropped after Langer uh came back into the side. So he he moved down the order and I mean, yeah, I mean, it's an incredible career and I think we'd all love someone like Hussey back in the side now, some of that quality. That's given me an idea. Maybe Joe Burns should try batting left-handed because 
uh, Michael Hussey famously at age seven decided Alan Border was his favourite cricketer, so he was going to bat left-handed. And he still made the test team and plundered world attacks. And what I wouldn't give to bat with my opposite hand as well as uh, Hussey may have batted with his... Well, I was just thinking it's already too late for my eldest. You know, he's batting right-handed. He's eight, so maybe I've oh, just got speaking to swap around. Well, I can't believe you've had me on the podcast again after that effort from Patrick. I mean, <laughs> that was superb. And I think I think uh, it should go without saying found its niche there with um, the father-son reporting on the EPL. I, I was I was fixed to the radio. That was that was the result of probably about two three months of constant pestering, and it was it was worth it. He was he was very good, and you know if you start doing that at eight, then by the time he gets to like university age, he will have done his ten thousand hours, and he'll just be a natural. He's born he, for it. He was fantastic. I mean, some, when he when he started going on about what it normally means when teams select five backs, I was like, okay, well. He's gone far beyond me when it comes to soccer. What what are the other codes he's interested in? Oh, pretty much soccer at the moment, but I mean, big on his footy. Uh, not really. I mean, he's, he likes having a game of cricket, but he's not big on knowing what the cricket's about. But uh, right. you know, watching it or anything like that. So, hoping to well, get into not- a t- hoping to get into a T Twenty match this summer. Well, I'm safe for a least, but the the picking the green shoots would mean fostering Patrick's love of cricket pretty early and and getting him to take my job. <laughs> well, uh, certainly in terms of actual playing cricket, that's part of the reason why we've got the, the turf set up here. I think uh, he'll be a better cricketer than me if he grows up batting on turf. So, <laughs> talking about green shoots, we, we, we touched on it briefly. Will Pekofsky was, according to Crash Craddock, uh, in this, not only just in the squad, but in the team, he was going to be uh, in the team and might have been replaced by Travis Head. I, I have some conflicting re- uh, thoughts about because this whole thing, considering this is apparently the second time he's almost been in the side, and then and the second time he's decided, well, no, I'm not, I'm not available for selection uh, for for uh, for personal reasons. So I was just wondering what your th- if you had any thoughts on that. Uh it's so complex, isn't it? And I, I don't like offering opinion on other people's mental states. It's it's mm. clearly a game that that requires um, every ounce of your character, your determination, and your mental strength to succeed. Um, everything we hear about about Will is that when he's batting, he has all of those, and he has a really clear mind, and and all that kind of stuff. Um, but at the crucial moment, seemingly two summers in a row, he's he's been unable to take that next step. And I don't know. You can sit here and comment on whether that means he'll ever be able to do it. Um, and all I can say is that I hope that he can, because I'd love to. I would love to watch him overcome this and and be the batsman that so many people say that he will be. I heard Nathan Buckley speaking on it today. Um, Uh, You know, and again, he was quick to say that he shouldn't necessarily be the one to have an opinion. But as a coach of, and just as a person who's coming to understand the nuances and the differences between all of those young men compared to his own um, 
you know, professionalism and steel mind, steely mind and all that kind of stuff. You know, it was really interesting because he basically said, look, if, if Will decides that the best thing for him is to be out of the limelight and playing cricket, you know, at the MCG, but in front of no one playing for Victoria, well, that's okay. It's more, it's more important that, that he is happy in himself than that he makes all of us happy. Um, Mm. And that's a relatively new idea for sport. Uh, And, and because I, you know, grew up with um, cricketers, the like of Steve Waugh and Justin Langer, who just weren't going off. They, you could keep bowling bounces at them and they, you could keep hitting them and they just weren't going off. They loved it. They thrived on it. Uh, It's just, it's a different time. It's a different time. And, and you have to take your hat off to him in many ways. I'm sure he earmarked a test career you know, from the age of three, like a lot of us did. Uh, and unlike a lot of us, he has the talent to do that. And now it's being offered to him and he's not ready. Um, and, it, you know, that's pretty special. It, it takes a lot to be at him when your dream is there for the taking. I think a lot of us would take it and suffer in silence. But maybe you end up with deeper problems that way. Who knows? Mm. I mean, I, I I wonder if the opportunity will pass him by. If he wants, if that's what's best for him, and you know, and as as Nathan Buckley said, you know, if if he just wants to be a shield cricketer and that's what makes him happy, then who are we to say, you know, who who are we to criticise him for that being, you know, where where he want where he wants to end up? But it'll be interesting to see. If, if if that opportunity presents itself again, rightly or wrongly, um, because I mean you, you you have to have players you know who you can have in the side, and I think at some stage they'll you know if if it's not going to happen and if he's not going to be ready reasonably soon, then you know and then just you know someone else might come in and and might take grab the opportunity with both hands and they might what all they want to do and it might make them happy and they might be good enough to keep their spot on the side and that opportunity might not present itself. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, as you say, it's a very difficult situation to really wrap your head around and, but we need to become, you know, and it, it's a, it could be a similar situation to Tom Boyd, you know, at, at the AFL level, he didn't have a problem with playing footy. He had a problem with playing footy at AFL level and everything that goes with it, you know, cause yeah. you know, he's, he's, he's left the AFL world, but he hasn't, stop playing footy you know the, the two hours on the park isn't the problem it's everything else that comes with doing that as an afl footballer for a job and that's so, fair i think it's fair because it just wouldn't suit everybody even hmm. if i think about my own career in my own chosen field of theater and stuff like that if you document my career as a whole there are agencies in my behavioral patterns in my professionalism in my um, you know, ability from year to year. There are some amazing highlights, but there are some some real lowlights too. And if I was, if that, in, if all of that played out in front of the entire nation, I would have really struggled with that. I think mm. that's 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 perfectly clear to me, and should be clear to the majority of Australians. Um, and this era magnifies, you know, however many thousands of times, to hear Greg Chapel speak about it um in his era they weren't professional cricketers 
They all had other jobs. They could go about their business and cricket was the best thing in their lives. And then they could go and have a beer together when they were on tour and, and, and nobody knew about it. Mm. I don't know. It's just, it's a weird time and we've got to talk about it. Cricket Victoria is missing. I don't know if, if Will's made himself available for Victoria, but um, presumably um, Maddinson and I know Glenn Maxwell is not available. Mm. So there's three like sparkling talents that aren't available in the top six for their state side due to mental health. Mm. We've, we've, we have to, we have to pursue this and we have to get it right because yeah. um, I mean, clearly the, the fishbowl was too much for Maddinson when he was thrust in perhaps ahead of time. So there's a, I mean, there's a great person to, because if Maddinson felt he wasn't ready the first time around, well, it's still costing him now. The mm. idea of playing for Australia to him now is so massive that he pulled out of the A game when he's flourishing again as a state cricketer. The idea of going to the next level and suddenly being um, on show, suddenly being remarked, you know, people having a go at you on social media. Mitch Marsh has spoken about it. Um, I read an article about Jordan Silk and uh, uh, Sean Tate. And some of these guys are like these are these are gun cricketers who, who represented their country and were going through some hideous things. Cricket Australia needs to absolutely handle this correctly and I think open their arms to people like Will, who are identifying that the next if they've got to be ready to take the next step. And maybe it's just that by identifying a clear moment in himself when he's ready to take it, he thrives when he gets there. I hope that's the case, and I hope he, I hope he puts on a show for me because I love the entertainment of sport. But he doesn't have to. Yeah, and I, I think I think a few people out there in the community feel like they sort of owed it. Um, I mean that's that's ridiculous. We're getting we're getting better about this sort of stuff as spectators and fans. Um, but you know, sporty. I mean. And you, particularly in footy, you get crazy as a supporter and, you know, you feel like you're owed effort and all that sort of thing. But, you know, there's no, the, the you know, normal jobs or, or, you know, most jobs aren't like that. I mean, and, and you put it as, as, as you've described it in, in your industry, you know, I also work in an industry where, the, where the, there's a very clear delineation. There is very talented people who won't take the next step in their careers um, to put their name on a ballot because of the scrutiny warranted or unwarranted that that would bring them. So yeah, they're quite happy. They're quite day. happy to quite happy to work for it, you know, and be a staffer or work in the background and that sort of thing. You know, very talented people who you think they'd make excellent, you know, elected officials and, and ministers and that sort of thing. But it's all the other stuff that they don't want to deal with, and it's not just hard on themselves. It's hard on families and that sort of thing. So. Yeah. I can certainly get an appreciation for it. Yeah, like every is, is our own. It, it, mm. it, it might affect us and our families in the slightest way. Put your name on the ballot and it can be front page news. It's just a different world. And it, yeah. and, and it, no, I don't think any feels that, well, maybe that, that's probably a crazy thing to say, but elite sport just seems like it's um, the general public's playground. We just watch them and then we comment on it and, you know, you say we're getting better. I hope we are, but we had a lot of ground to make up because social media is just a disastrous place. And so many athletes 
are on there all the time. You know, and why wouldn't they be? They're young fellas. Yeah. But, you know, I can't speak to Will Pukowski, um, Wilkowski, uh specifically, but, you know, we, we do. We've got a lot of work to do. Mm. Anyway, we'll, we'll move on from, from that. The first test is in Brisbane. 19, November 1988 was the last time Australia lost a test match in Brisbane. Um, this is the reason why the first test match should be in Brisbane. It's just, it's a guaranteed, you, the worst that's going to happen is it's going to pour rain and it's going to be nil-nil at the end of the first test. But Pakistan, are they? Are there any chance of breaking the hoodoo in, in Brisbane? They've had some pretty they... poor results there over the years. They've had some pretty poor results in Australia. For this, there's something about this team. I don't think it's going to be a walkover. Um, I think Cricket Australia probably scheduled them to play in Perth in the lead up as like a a real blow to their confidence. Really, it's like that that thing of a touring team comes to Perth and the fast bowlers' eyes light up and they bowl a foot too short and Aussie batsmen cash in. And then when Aussie bowlers get the chance, they bowl full and every Pakistan batsman will nick off in the slips and, you know, we'll skittle them for 150 twice and we'll make 450 and there'll be two obvious candidates to come into the Australian team and the bats, the Pakistani batsman's confidence will be shot. Well, we had the exact opposite vibe of that. Um, they're batting, they have three batsmen in that top six, um, which is probably one more than we have. Um, and there's some real talent in that um, bowlers that have given us trouble, um, fast bowlers that have given us trouble um, in the UAE uh, that just, you know, just nibble around nice lengths and then some genuine pace as well. So um, I've been a fortress. I expect Australia to get the job done. But uh, I think this Pakistani side has something about it. It's, it's it's a nice new beginning for Pakistan cricket. They're about to play country, uh, play cricket in their home country again, which is wonderful for them. Um, you know, not many sides would have stuck around if they had to play all their home test matches away. Um, you know, they, they've been relevant um, and they should get a lot better for the experience of being able to play at home. And there's some talent there, so I don't mind them. And the Kiwis start $4 in every test match they ever play against Australia, and it never it never plays to the gritty and determined cricket team who, you know, typically will, as each batsman comes out, there'll be an average of 25 by their name down to number 10 besides Kane Williamson, and one of them will, will hang around in every test match. Um, and Williamson is a, is a gun. So the, I think this whole summer will present challenges and it won't just play to the script, but the script is that Australia wins. Mm. I can't say that I know much about uh, the Pakistani side except for the leg spinner Shah. But um, I'm just looking at their squad now. They've got another guy, guy named Shah who's not yet 17 years old. So I don't, but uh, no, I, I don't know much about this Pakistani side. But I always feel like they come here with the with at least with the right attitude when they start. And I feel like there's been some good Pakistani teams who've come over here. Uh, the one that came here in 1990 that ran Australia pretty close in a couple of Test matches. Um, I don't think that 
95 or 99 teams were, were poor teams by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and this is not a particularly strong Australian side, despite what has just happened in England. And to a certain extent, it's already not the same side that, that retained the Ashes in England. So I think there's an opportunity there for Pakistan, certainly. They've just probably got to approach things the right way and, and get off to a good start to the series. Have a good have a good day one. If they can win the toss bat, get through the first day, they don't have to set the world on fire. But if they can be six for 260, six for 270, then you know get runs on the board and then put the pressure back on Australia. Um, they always seem to have good pace bowling. I think and, they've, I think the most talented just about ever uh, produced in Pakistan. It's just crazy the difference between what is what is typically produced in India versus what is typically produced in Pakistan. Mm. Um, but but yeah, there's there's some freakish talents um, in the pace bowling department, including a guy who'll probably play in Brisbane who I think is 17. Um, and and consistently gets up around the 150 mark. They're, they're, they're clever bowlers, not just not just um, raw pace. Uh, yeah, it'll be something. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. Um, and as I said, it's it's a good contest, usually. And, I mean, it is interesting, historically, Pakistan have produced those fast bowlers. I think India have probably got their greatest crop of fast bowlers going around right now. And all of their recent success, particularly away from India, has been built on that. So, but the names just roll off the tongue historically for Pakistan. You know, starting with guys like Imran, Safraz, who both had success in Australia, and then going through you know your your Akrams and your Wacko Unises and Shoabaktas yeah. right up until recently. You know, guys like Shami and who who had. Some who certainly had some success here, and yeah, I mean you've got to be able you 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 can't be pedestrian to take wickets as a pace bowler in Australia. You've got to be talent. You've got to be able to do something with the ball. You've got to put it in the right areas. You've got to have that pace. And they've always been able to produce those bowlers, which India haven't been able to do. I mean, India have come here with some very pedestrian pace attacks and struggle because of it. So. That's right. So, but Pakistan have always seemed to front up with a really good pace attack. And, you know, if there are deficiencies in that Australian lineup in, in terms of good pass bowling, and I know Mizbah, as the coach is already talking about, Steve Smith, you know, you get the ball in the right areas, you, you create chances. The, 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 the criticism I've always had of Pakistan is that they've always seemed to, they always seem to have one way of winning, which is, you know, you either take wickets through, you know, brilliant bowling or you score runs through brilliant batting but they never seem to and this might be an unfair criticism but they don't seem to and it might be i might be just not seeing evidence of stuff that is happening but they don't seem to do the little things really well and those little things are often evidence of hard work so we've had teams who've come from Pakistan before who aren't great fielding teams um, who don't run between the rickets, rickets really well, who aren't, you know, don't show those little teamwork things that have certainly been the building blocks for some, for some lesser teams over the course of the journey. And I've seen certainly Australia in the 1980s under Bob Simpson get back into competitiveness with, you know, fielding and running between the wickets and hustle. And then, Sri Lanka did it in the middle of the, in the 1990s. There was that improvement. And then New Zealand in the late 90s. And then when Zimbabwe had their best team in the late 90s, a lot of it was built on that. So 
you know, if Pakistan can turn that around historically and have those sort of, I just feel like they 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 want to, you know, get get blokes caught behind the wicket with really good bowling and hit boundaries, and that's the way they win Test matches. So, just yeah, I know what you mean. They talent. they haven't been a paint by numbers kind of mm. uh, team, uh, and and you know, it's it's oil and water. Typically, Australia versus Pakistan, a really hard-working team versus a, a a brilliant, a potentially brilliant team. Um, there's something. There's I, I I think they're turning a corner there, at least with the running between the wickets and the fielding. And T um, Twenty cricket is 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 bringing out the best in in. I mean, Pakistan were the number one ranked T um, Twenty side before they came out here. Um, but you, you can't really. I mean, of course, there's room for brilliance in T20, but um, you can't muck around in the field and you've got to run, you've got to turn the ones into twos. Um, and if they've got the fitness to make that happen across five days, then I think there'll be a handful. I think they do have a lot of talent. Um, and so you're right, they've, they've typically won brilliantly and maybe, maybe they've, they'll begin to turn a corner there. Because mm. in that's... India have... Yeah, and it's funny that the probably the greatest Pakistani side, which is the one that won the 92 World Cup, was probably built on, you know, uh, an appetite for work, um, which Imran inst- instilled in them, and they turned things around when they were sort of down and out in that World Cup. So yeah, perhaps perhaps the 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 T20. I mean, it's obviously had a huge effect on the other forms of the game, but the fact that you do have to put pressure on the opposition by you know, turning those ones into twos, as you said, and, and you know, being really energetic and in the field is sort of, it, it, it permeates the rest of the game and maybe that's had an effect on them in that respect. I think it's had, an, I'm, I think it's had an effect on fielding, certainly. Yeah. Uh, so I'm really interested to see, you know, what, what they look like in the field, what they look like between the wickets and that sort of thing. And I think if they, if they, if that, if that's where it, needs to be then this is going to be it's it's obviously going to be a short series but it's going to be a tough series for australia because we we know that pakistan always seem to have the the resident talent amongst their team to be able to win test matches and win them win them really well yep so you got any predictions two test series there's only sort of like a few ways you can go there's not too many options so do you think do you think Australia win both test matches? Do you see Pakistan drawing the series, winning? I don't think uh, West's going to play a huge part. No, look, my prediction is that is that Australia will get it done. Uh, you know, but that's it's a lot of history is is going into that prediction. You know, um, our ability to handle the conditions slightly better uh, over the journey um, will will ultimately. Uh, see us win 2-0 but I, I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if I I think we'll know more about the series after the first day if Australia bat first would be would be my suggestion I think we'll have a we'll have a much better idea after day one if Australia bat on that day one than if Pakistan bat first there's almost a temptation if you're the Pakistanis which you should almost certainly resist but there almost be that temptation to just and I mean, apparently the Brisbane pitch looks ready to be, ready to play on right now. So two days out, but um, there'd be a temptation to send the Aussies in with the with the changes they've had to that top six and see if you can knock them over real quickly. But Dangerous. as we often said, as we often said, and you know, just you know, two words, Nasser Hussain. But 
if, if, if you win the toss, nine times out of ten, you bet. And the tenth time you think about bowling, and then you bet. So, which I've Just come up bat. with a variation of that for when I go to the pub. Nine times out of ten, I have the palmer. And the tenth time I think about something else, then I have the palmer. Interesting. So, um, mate, I recommend Miss Palmer's then in um, in Little Burke Street. Don't know if you've I'll, been there, but uh, I, the, I've uh, been there. I, I've been there a few times. Normally, I get the veal parmigiana because you can't get it too many places. In it's more of an Adelaide specialty, the veal parmigiana. So, but I, I've I've certainly been to Mrs. Palmer's and they do a, an excellent Palmer. So, Oof. we're not sponsored, you, but uh, if Miss Palmer. Yeah, they want to take it if they want to if they want to you know we're happy to comp a free palmer you know that's fine we'll take maybe we should do fake i was thinking about doing fake ads so i like but, fake ads. miss palmers want to come on board we'll do a live podcast yeah um, follow test match as long as we can have a palmer <laughs> and a beer and uh yeah well certainly for boxing day we'll, we'll do it we'll we'll do a day after boxing day and it'll be like we'll, up after being in the members for seven hours and Things might it'll be interesting. A live a live broadcast without saying that clears Miss Palmer's completely. She just surely can't be on their agenda. Filled with things that not only should go without saying, but just should not have been said. Yeah, I think I think is what we're aiming at. Anyway, <laughs> really look really looking forward to this test summer. We've got two tests against Pakistan. We'll probably check in with Cameron. Just between the Pakistan and New Zealand series, so I want to give New Zealand their due, considering they're coming here for Melbourne and Sydney for the first time in 30 years. But uh, before I let you go, um, just a quick answer on who are Collingwood going to take with their first draft pick next week? Oh, I'd, I'd love to have one in the top 10 so that any of the like um, well-spruked names were... Um, there's no, no father son that that I think I think I'm waiting. I about? think I'm waiting a year for that one. Um, there's a there's a a couple of guys uh, over the the next little bit. I love how you know informed all the football um, punters are these days. You know, thanks to places like Big Footy, where there's somebody watching the twelve year olds who may represent Collingwood in twenty twenty eight. You know. We're all yeah. across how Ace and Jet Buckley are playing. Um, you know, we, we, we can't wait to see them and, and all that kind of gear. So, no, it's it's not – that won't be happening this year. Um, and so a bit of a Derek Hine special somewhere down the board, someone we don't – we haven't heard of and who all the draft watchers go, wait, who? And, um, and then turns out to be um, the greatest footballer of all time. My beloved Saints are picking to the 27th round of the draft. So I haven't paid <laughs> any attention. I haven't I haven't consumed any information about the draft. So it's just gonna happen. It's gonna be like there's gonna be three new guys on the team. It's like oh okay. So do you know what they should do in circumstances like this? Like you've traded away all your picks and you've made draft night so uninteresting. So just let Punner pick those players. <laughs> give him you know give him all your info. Like give him a you know your top two hundred. Um, and just, you know, once, you know, 150 of them are off the list, just go, well, you can pick any three from the remaining 50. And you, even if you just like the sound of their names, that's fine. And they'll be at St. Kilda. It's oh. a, you've won a competition. <laughs> it's, it's, they should, uh, I, think, I think it's an idea. I don't know if it's a good one, but it's certainly an idea. <laughs> anyway. You know, it's a shot in the dark. 
But, um, you know, we'll still love them no matter who they are because they'll put our bloody jumpers on and we'll bloody go on real bloody. And they will be champions because they put our jumpers on. Cameron, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for joining me. Good on you, Punner. No worries. We'll catch you next time on It Should Go Without Saying.